Welcome to Innovating Music, a podcast from the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation. I'm your host, Dr. Gigi Johnson. It's hard to miss Dimitri Vitsa. CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors, heavily involved in the PR areas of the music industry, especially in the tech space, I tend to see him from really far away at music events because of his bright pants and his big personality. He joined us on the podcast to share stories of how new combinations of unrelated ideas create innovation in music. Our conversation ranges from his own background in activism to ways to unlock new businesses, the slow, fast dynamics of music change, and the richness of human relations in music. He discussed with me the blurring of creator and fan and the challenges of making innovation work in the marketplace. How did you get into what you do in music and what is your organization and role? What What is your music hat? Well, uh, I'll start with the hat and then tell you how I got into it. Um, I run a few different companies in the music business, One, primarily Rock, Paper, Scissors, which is a PR firm that uh, started by focusing entirely on helping international musicians um, with publicity in the United States, but in the last few years has grown quite a bit in the uh, space of doing PR for music technology companies and entities and pe- personalities, I guess. Um, in fact, that's about two-thirds of our business now. And then I also have my own startup called StoryAmp, uh, which is a web-based platform to help musicians, record labels, and PR firms with PR. Um, they can put concerts and releases into the system, and they automatically get sent out to relevant journalists. And I, I can tell you more about that. But I, I'm, I'm the founder and CEO of both companies. Um, shall I answer your other question about how I got sure. into Sure. How did you get in? Because you have a very distinctive personality. You have actually a very fun look. You have a lot of tremendous energy. And I always think of you as PR. So I have no idea, actually, how you ended up in this walk of life. I grew up playing music, um, first in Nashville, Tennessee, where I was born, although we were kind of there by happenstance, and by the time I was hitting 13, my mom moved us back to New York City, where she was from, and eventually ended up going to LaGuardia High School, which is the current fame high school, high school for music and the arts, um, as an instrumental player, Um, and uh, though they were very focused on Western classical music, and I was... um, sort of kind of tired of that by the time I hit high school. And so I put a lot of my focus into cultural activism. I did a lot of anti-racism activism in the streets of New York City. And I actually say that everything I learned in business, I learned from being an activist pretty much because I was running workshops and meetings and organizing events and things like that and doing storytelling in my own way um, through that. So I had a combination of playing music in the subways and on the streets of New York and... um, organizing demonstrations and and things like that. Eventually, uh, I moved out to Portland, Oregon after, uh, well, I went to Antioch College, got a degree in management, um, full tuition scholarship for being an activist. (laughs) Wow. I'm not sure if there's any place else that would have given you a full tuition scholarship for being an activist. But yeah, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, And then I think I probably made some um, donors turn over in the grave when I started studying business as opposed to continuing my activist world. But I I realized business uh, was such an important way of changing the world. So 
Anyway, eventually I developed a workshop using music to teach about cultural differences. That was out in Portland, Oregon. I was working for an educational nonprofit. And that's where it struck me that I really wanted to focus back in on music, but in a way that was unexpected. And I became a big fan of the idea of taking unrelated interests and turning them into a career. And so that's when I started um, working in the music industry, first doing PR for a record distributor because they knew I had such an interest in international and cross-cultural music and they had a lot of that. And then eventually saying, I want to work for myself and do it my way. And that's when I started Rock, Paper, Scissors again back in 1999, first with the focus on helping music, uh, helping musicians from other parts of the world kind of tell their story through the media in America. So what city are you based in now? I am in Bloomington, Indiana, which is a college town. It's where Indiana University is. It's an hour south of Indianapolis, and it's midway between Chicago and Nashville. And we've been heavily involved with those two cities over the last couple of years. So you're part of the mythology that you can work anywhere. I am trying to create that mythology. (laughs) (laughs) So you're engaged in innovative music, but also now you're engaged with startups as well. How did you make that bridge And how does that really interface with how your company works? Yeah, so when I started StoryAmp a few years back, um, I had to do some marketing of my own. And so I thought, gee, I'm a pretty good publicist at music. Let me try my hand at doing business PR. And so I I got quite a bit of press for StoryAmp. And that's when I realized there was not – you know, it wasn't that much of a leap to go from doing PR for musicians and festivals and record labels to doing PR for music technology companies. And I stumbled upon the CD Baby folks, a company that I had heard about and that I respected, but didn't really know what they'd been up to and found out that they had been up to a lot of stuff. I met them at South by Southwest, met their um, um, now CEO, Tracy Maddox. Um, and they were up to a lot of stuff that I, I, having come from the music industry for so long, realized that very few people outside of the independent artists they served understood just how deep and wide they had been going with their services. And so I um, um, had a conversation with Tracy and, and I said, what about us doing PR? And he, he said, sure, let's give it a shot. With CD Baby then, that they were not really a startup anymore. They'd been bought by somebody else. So you came to them with an innovative idea on connecting PR to what they were doing. They were telling their story deeply to their existing user base. They're up to almost a half a million artists that handle their distribution and other monetization through CD baby. And they, you know, they were great at telling that story and, and building a community around the education and monetization services for DIY artists but they weren't very um, proactive in getting their story out there. So it was more of them just taking a risk and trying to do traditional publicity and starting to generate some more uh, you know, reputation and notoriety within the larger music industry. And then we approached, approached it by using different innovative ideas to help them and also to help the industry as a whole understand some of the trends that, were behind, that are behind CD Baby's success, including that you have this real diverse group of artists who don't necessarily use or want record labels or other types of entities that the traditional industry relied on, but who do want to forward their career and, and um, find the different ways to keep current with how you run a music career. Um, 
So yeah, that that's that that was our first PR client, CD Baby, for like the music tech space, and and they, and they're doing and they are doing actually a lot of innovative things that people didn't know about. So that's kind of your job is to help people know about various innovations. Well, exactly. I mean, um, basically, we help companies identify and express their own innovations, and sometimes they they kind of know what it is or they really know it deeply, but they don't necessarily know how to express it. Sometimes. They have this combination of things, and it's, it can be helpful for them to work with somebody who works in the PR role to really pull out what is the thing that differs from them from their differs that for, for them from their competitors or for other other options that are out there. So, what do they offer that other companies don't offer? So, what do you? How do you define innovation? What is innovation to you? Um. I am a big fan of Clay Christensen's def- definition that innovation is combining two unreli- unrelated ideas into a third new idea. He's the one who wrote The Innovator's Dilemma, but he also wrote follow-up books, one of them called The Innovator's DNA, which kind of helped me sort of think about what he meant in a different sort of way, in a more kind of practical way, because in that book, he talks about um, – the way that you create innovation, the biggest skill is combining these unrelated ideas that basically everything that exists on the earth exists on the earth and you can't make substance come from thin air. So you take existing things and combine them in new ways and that's where the innovation comes. So the first skill is combining those unrelated ideas. But then he identifies, I think it's four or five additional skills that you can develop that help you come up with those ideas and combine them in different ways. Questioning, observing, experimenting, and networking. So when I think about innovation, that's what I think about at the core. I don't know if you meant such a theoretical or conceptual. No, no, no. Everyone's got their different their different spin and twist on it. So you, you are a, an homage to Clay Christensen. Yes, for sure. And, you know, you see it, once you, see, you, you define it that way, you see it in a lot of different ways at a lot of different levels. Sometimes it's, it's at a very high level. You can see that a, a, an entity or a company or even a, a musician or an innovator is do, doing this. And sometimes it's more specific with, like, individual features of a product um, rather than the overall company structure. Or maybe combining in a new audience or combining in a geography or some other element. That's right. And, and sometimes, um, you know, like if you say take like an Uber or something and you say, well, they combined the idea of a taxi with an app and, you know, on demand and so forth. Then you start seeing all these other companies talking about they're the Uber of this or the Airbnb and that. And basically what all they're really saying is they've modernized it for the app world or for the Internet connected world or things like that. But they are they they might not seem as groundbreaking because we can start to see these kind of um, you know parallels from different industries or different services, but they they actually are innovating in the sense that it hasn't been done in that space yet. Or in some ways that they're they are unlocking assets, and both of them are unlocking what was a locked fixed structure, and so in in some ways it's a it's a nice shorthand to talk about innovation so that you're not thinking I'm just sticking an app on it but I'm rethinking the core how I sell assets or how I deal with this are you working with any companies in music who are looking to kind of unlock old strangleholds is is too much of a draconian word but un- unlock what had previously been locked up cd baby's an example unlock what was possible but was possible mostly in a label structure 
What type of things are you seeing as innovators among your clients? Yeah, I mean, actually, as you were as you were saying that, pointing out that that's the real distinction with Uber and Airbnb, I was I was actually thinking about CD Baby again in the sense that there is a blurring of lines happening in the music industry between what is a creator and what is a fan. And CD Baby exists across that entire spectrum. Um, you know, there's high-level successful musicians like Ingrid Michaelson who are still on you know, use CD Baby. And then there's artists that are just starting for the first time. And, you know, they may not, they're still getting their their chops in their performance and their recording and so forth. So I think in a sense, that is, that's unlocking. But another interesting one that we work with is Lyric Find. Are you familiar with them? I am, but our audience might not be. Yeah, so Lyric Find has deals with over 5,000 publishers worldwide to license and give people the right to use lyrics in the many forms in which lyrics now appear in the internet world. Um, and then on the other hand, they license the, those rights off to not only lyric websites, but, but app builders and web platforms and even some hardware companies that integrate lyrics into um, what they're offering. So whereas in the old days, lyrics basically existed in liner notes, then uh, people started feeling the, the tightening of, of sales and revenue on physical product. And I don't know if every, you know some of your listeners probably have had noticed at the time that the, the liner notes for CDs, for example, got thinner and thinner until they were basically one little sheet that was just a cover and some credits on the back. But you know, in the old days, liner notes on, on vinyl and on CDs, or I, I should say in the heyday, uh, they got pretty thick with a lot of information, including lyrics for all the songs. Well, that disappeared, and then all these illegal websites popped up with, um, with their lyrics, and then they started monetizing those lyrics with advertising, and then it, you know, people started to realize, well, there needed to be a legal way to, to get the rights for those lyrics and, and to monetize it and pay the rights holders, and that's where Lyric Fund came in, and they now power lyrics on Google search and all the, a lot of the lyric websites and Deezer and um, Pandora and so, so many different places where lyrics appear now. So they kind of unlocked lyrics from being something that only existed in the old physical format and created a new revenue stream. In fact, um, now millions of dollars are being paid out in rights hold, to rights holders for their lyrics, which in the old days of, of liner notes, you couldn't actually monetize your lyrics separately from your recordings, and uh, and now you can. So they might be a great example, or maybe other folks you work with, to the question of how hard is it to be innovative in music? Are there special challenges or quirks to music that make it harder to be an innovator? Um, I mean, I think it's it, it, it can be very challenging, but I think the big, I mean, the first challenge is finding something new or finding those ingredients that combine into something new. And I think that is a challenge, although it's not as big of a challenge. I think the bigger challenge is on the business side, coming up with a way to make your innovation work in the marketplace, which could be getting users. You know, even if you're not worried about making money in early days, it can be very hard to come up with a combination that actually gets you users. A lot of these services are two-sided platforms, and that makes it even harder because you almost, you know, it's a chicken or egg scenario. Uh, getting people to pay for your product or service. So even if you can get users, getting people to actually pay money for it is really challenging. Or if you're even even if you're advancing b before that and saying, well, I just need somebody to invest, and then when I get to scale, I'll be able to have enough users to be profitable. So to me, that's the biggest challenge. Um, it's a big challenge in a lot of industries, but it's definitely a challenge in music. Um, and I think it's actually 
a challenge that is is stifling the music industry. I think there's a lot of innovators coming to the table and trying things, but they have to stop pretty soon after they try because it's so hard to pay for the rights for the music um, and to and to get to a place where the amount they can charge for their service is more than the amount that it costs them to get access to the music. So despite then that challenge, what is driving folks to try to innovate in music? Well, I mean, I think there's a couple of ways to answer that for me. One of them is a kind of a bigger cultural sort of phenomenon, which is that humans just love messing with and being entertained with sound waves. And it just, it's something that I think people just feel so deeply about. I'm not saying that everybody on the wor- in the world is always engaged in thinking about music, but I think that the people that are um, engaged in how that cre- human creation um, and evolution of sound just captures people's souls is the reason why there's so much innovation in music. I think there's also the fact that it's been disrupted so far that people are so engaged with their smartphones and their browsers and um and all the technology and yet uh that that sort of broke the way the traditional music industry is operating in terms of how people could monetize their recordings and even their live performances to some extent um so i think that's part of the innovation but i also think that it's not solely from a negative place in terms of oh we need this is broken and so that we need to fix it in all these ways i also think that people are engaged in in technology-connected ways so much that they yearn for human experiences that are also missing. And so I think that the live side has a lot of potential, both in terms of performance and in terms of fan engagement, um, has a lot of potential for, for innovation that feels less like it's based in the negative of how piracy affected the music industry and more just based in, wow, we have this culture as a society where we're so sort of blocked by screens from each other that we actually want to be in front of each other. We want to connect directly with musicians or other fans and that sort of thing. So I think there's some positive things that are also leading to innovation. Well, you are still working with global artists, correct? Yes, quite a bit. Are you seeing a lot of the same things with your global artists or ones outside the United States or North America? Or are, are, are you seeing the same trends or things happening different for them? Well, I mean, I think the, the, both at the same time some of some of them some of the global musicians we work with are going through the same exact stuff i mean we've seen some interesting technology some some musicians who have built you know apps that have to do with you know geo um interaction where you you know walk around and soundscapes emerge based on where you are and um and we've seen different musicians engage with how to how, or use different ways to engage with their fans uh, through the internet and, and through technology and so forth. The same way it's happening in, in other musicians. But then, you know, we also work with some traditional musicians um, who that's the last thing they're thinking about. You know, they're still they're still operating in spirit worlds and, and places where technology is still a very low priority or maybe will always be a low priority. So I think I think it's a combination. The biggest thing with international stuff is that you know, language and time zones and even cultural values are so different from from one part of the world to another that that actually is, I think that's still an obstacle for, I mean, we think of ourselves as such a global world and a global society now that we're interconnected, but there's certain human things still happening in terms of language, 
time zones and cultural barriers that still make the kind of innovation that you'd expect to travel quickly across the world to, to be slower than you expect. Let's back up to two things in that last comment set. Um, soundscapes. So you have artists who are working with tools that create physical environments of sound to go with their music. You know, I, so I'm, I'm up to a team of 11. And so I'm not deeply touching all of the, uh, all of the, um, projects that we're working on, particularly, uh, ironically, um, especially in light of the comments that I just made, I tend to be more deeply involved in the music technology side of the clients than on the artist side. But I do remember hearing about one of our clients um, creating an app. And again, you were talking about global artists, and this artist, I believe, had created this in New York City, but was using cross-cultural sounds and, and so forth. But yeah, um, you know, like an app where you you can go on a, a walking tour and you get you have your headphones on and you get different soundscapes depending on where you are. And I don't think it was like across the whole city. It was more like you know, a block, a city block or something like that. And, and you sort of change what you're listening to based on where you physically are on that block. And then who is working with Spirit Worlds? Well, I mean, by that, we've worked with, um, there's an artist from Haiti. We're not currently, this has been a few years now, but an artist from Haiti, he's, he's actually running a, a very important cultural museum there now named Errol Josue, who is actually a spiritual leader in the the voodoo tradition in the Haitian voodoo tradition and was when he was when we were working with him he's working in New York City and he was actually called upon by social workers because of his spiritual role to help families that were in crisis and um, the the Haitian voodoo tradition uses a lot of uh, trance and a lot of conversation with spirit worlds. We've also worked with um, the Moroccan Ganawa musician Hassan Hakmoun, who people might know from uh, back in the day of, of working with Peter Gabriel. But um, I saw him perform at a Afro Roots Festival in Miami, and he showed video of a trance Ganawa trance ceremony. And the Haitians, it was at the Haitian Cultural Center in Miami, and and the Haitians in the audience, some of them said this is very very similar to. The kind of work we're, you know, the, the kind of spiritual work we do with music. So, I mean, there's there's some old innovation and some old tradition for you, um, old technology. <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, it, it's you know, the way that we are interacting with the world is a wide spectrum. It's not just what we can do in front of the computer. Right. So what has been your biggest surprise in innovating in music? Um, actually, it's kind of related to what we're talking about. And, you know, I... I hadn't thought about that until you, you said that was going to be one of our questions of the conversation um, quite in this way. But when I was thinking about my personal biggest surprise, it's the slow, fast dynamic of change that some things seem to happen overnight and some things seem to take forever. And so you have, you know, things that, that burst onto the scene and um, and kind of blow your mind at how quickly – I mean, if you look at the role that YouTube has played in the music field, um, you know, that, that, that had some very rapid growth. Or in an individual artist's career, you'll see it, ha it can have some very rapid growth where somebody creates a video that um, ends up getting a lot of traction very quickly. And that would be an example of where things are happening really quickly. Um, but then you, you, you look at things that you think – you know, if you've been in the industry for a little while and, you, and you're talking about things like um, artist payment and artist transparency and thinking about, well, you know, how, how has that not been solved and, and how complex the relationships and the technology that needs to be used to actually communicate different um, songwriter splits across different territories um, and 
the different uses of the music, the, the wide variety of different um, types of rights that you need and so forth. It just seems like, wow, that is taking a really long time. And, and now you have um, people talking about, you know, building a whole entire new structure that, embra- that sort of encodes the metadata of all these exchanges within the music files themselves. It just seems like it's not happening very quickly. So that's, yeah. that's been my biggest surprise. I expected... There was a moment like when I launched StoryAmp where I expected to see a lot of these companies coming to get together much quickly, maybe seeing even more consolidation of these different services within the industry. And then a lot of them just ended up fizzling out. They just couldn't quite um, make the rubber hit the road in terms of bringing something to market and making it sustainable. So that slow, fast dynamic is, I think, my biggest surprise. And then another surprise is that behind all the technology – I feel like the industry is still he- held together by human relationships. You know, I feel like for, for a while there, maybe four or five years ago, everyone was looking for um, that magic formula that was going to build and scale their career at, you know, at a, at a rapid race without at a rapid speed without um, the need for other so-called middlemen. Um, but in the end, there's all these human relationships that are behind everything. I mean, even if you look like these, look at these artists who have had a fast growth because they got placed onto a Spotify playlist that's super popular. There's a human curating those human uh, those those Spotify playlists. Now, there's also the algorithm-based ones and so forth. But there's there's a strong. I, I have a strong sense that human relationships are more important than people give credit for. Absolutely. I I run into probably a pitch a week right now of someone who's creating this new, fabulous online community platform that suddenly will fix everything. And a lot of that really is the people involved, not necessarily creating yet another platform for us to spend time in. Right. So let's look forward. What are the next new innovations that you see coming up the pike in music or that you see need to come up? based on either frictions or pressures that we're experiencing? I'm a huge fan of innovation. When I see a good idea, you know, I love to understand it and explore it and so forth. But when it comes to the music business, I think I <laughs> I, I feel like I'm going to give you an answer that feels more conservative than my personality just because, you know, I've worked with so many different music tech businesses now and I can really see that it it really is about taking a pretty mature industry and transforming it in new ways it's not i don't i don't necessarily think in terms of there's going to be some innovation that overnight is going to change how people experience music i think it's more gradual but i also think it's more about hooking into the little the little tweaks along the way that make the connections that need to be made so i look at some patterns that that I think need to be tweaked in that way. And I think one of the biggest one is that fans are the creators now. Um, yes, there is always going to be performers, professional performers who are distinctive from their fans. But I also think that one of the biggest things that keeps happening over and over again right now, which is the YouTube model. And it's also the, 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 the reason vine surged and, and it's uh, now going away as of November, 2016. That's right. Snapchat, you know, all these types of things. It's because you no longer have to have all these pieces in place to get an audience or to have an impact. So I think that's going to continue to increase. Um, the, 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 the means of production are in the hands of the masses and there's no going back. And I think that will increase the role or increase the volatility of the role of A&R 
um, that, you know, on the one hand, it'll also increase access in a way to A&R. You know, you don't, you don't have to make a demo. You don't have to go to shows to find artists. They come to you in, in different ways. But that creates a whole other flood of uh, how do you manage all that work. But anyway, I think, um, I think that will continue to be a strong source of innovation. If people can tap, if people who want to be innovative in music, whether you're a musician or a creator of a, a, a startup, um, tapping into that idea that fans are the creators, I think is going to be very powerful. And it's much easier to grow a service around fans than it is to grow a service around artists because there are a lot more just, there's a lot more humans than there are musicians. And there's a lot more humans that could become musicians if they're empowered the proper way. So that's one. I think transparency of payments and ownership are inevitable. Um, there are a lot of companies who are working on it right now, and I think that they're they're going to have they're going to have an effort. Uh, they're going to have an impact um, some somewhere along the line. There's one of them is going to stick and um, <laughs> to build around. That. Or they're all trying to stick, but that's part of the challenge right now. Well, the problem is if they all stick is that then you, once again, you have multiple platforms trying to talk to each other and that, that actually creates a bottleneck as well. But, I, but either between you know, a handful of so-called winners or, or a single winner, I, I think something's going to happen there and it's going to help the industry. It's going to help artists. It's going to help the people who have probably fought against it. Although, I mean, there's some, the reason there isn't as much transparency is because somebody's profiting from it <laughs> to an extent and the... And the more you know, the more sort of power you have to um, to sort of change things. But but I think that's a I think that's one that both needs to come up the pike and is is in process. You know, one that also I think will continue to drive a lot of innovation is that there's no longer a single model for building a music career. And I think for a while there, people were thinking, oh, this is the new model. You know, like 360 degree deal <laughs> model or. Social media, you know, f having a Facebook following is the new model or, or YouTube is the new model. And I think really what, what we've seen after enough iterations of this is that there is no single model. Some of those that I mentioned continue to exist and to be drivers for certain artists, but then other artists are managing their career in a totally other way. And I think that's another well of innovation is how do you challenge the existing models um, not necessarily to disrupt them, but to live alongside of them and operate for another market or niche that has yet to be served. Certain genres um, go one way versus another, but certain individuals do as well. And then I think the other place where we need more innovation, and I, I, granted, I, I expect that a lot of people would answer that question with very specific things, and I'm, I'm answering much more broadly. Um, but another one is, I think music appreciation will continue to be more and more diverse. I think um, as people are more connected, through the internet and, and so forth, um, they're less required to all listen to similar music forms. And so the hybridization of genres and also the, um, the nichification of genres will continue to grow, and fans, as a result, will be able to pick and choose a lot more. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for helping people find the stuff that appeals to them as opposed to the old broadcast model where... You know, it was how many people can we get, how many ears can we gather under one radio station so that we can, you know, sell ads to it. I think that diversification of music appreciation is going to continue to go. So my answer is a little broad, but, uh, but, but I do think those are all areas where innovation is going to grow. So other than your clients, what might be two or three companies that are changing music that you are excited about right now? I am a huge fan of Sonos. 
Um, I know that, that for people who've been using them for several years, they're not particularly innovative, but a lot of people haven't used them yet. And what's, I think one of the most innovative things about them, besides the fact that they are a, are a hardware platform that integrates lots of software options, is that from one device, you can access all of your services. You can do a lot of collaborative playlisting and music sharing within a household or a workplace. Um, I've got a teenage daughter and a seven-year-old son, and they both have playlists. And it's a blast to be able to share and to listen to what they're into and introduce them to things and be introduced. So I think that that is a, a really amazing thing. I'm sure that, I, in fact, I know there are other companies that are working on how to create that experience without the hardware where you can just um, do more collaborative playlisting across platforms um, as well. But anyway, that's that's one that I really love. Um, I just stumbled onto Loop Labs, uh, which is a company that... Um, has an online music creation platform that looks really awesome. Um, it, they have 100,000 users already. They um, Basically, you don't have to know how to make music to produce a great song there. They have lots of samples and drag-and-drop possibilities. And so that's part of that um, fan-as-creator phenomenon that I'm intrigued by. You know, there is a company up in Chicago that we've been going up to partner with on stuff called Fortnox Studios, their rehearsal studio. But what they decided to do was build um, a uh, kind of creative industries with a heavy music emphasis uh, co-working space. And they have mentors that come in and they have, um, they have uh, like nightly workshops and sessions and so forth. And even though that's not a huge innovation in, um, in, in music specifically in, in the sense of what are some companies that are doing stuff, it, they've become a hub for a lot of cool stuff. And I really like their approach to – it's a very generous spirited approach to how to make an impact in the music industry. Um, so it's a little different kind of answer, but that, that's one that I certainly think is, uh, is a cool model. And I like the fact that they've, they've got these rehearsal studios that were their bread and butter, but now they're kind of opening it up and g creating a lot of opportunities between software and hardware and musician companies and film companies and, and things like that as well. And I'm running into some of those in other cities as well. So it's, a, it's an interesting model uh, of really having a collaborative community that's not just straight old music that's part of the whole support space. Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we work with another one in Nashville called Project Music, which is more of an accelerator. And that's a, I mean, for your listeners, if they're interested in, in music tech startups, um, those are a couple of programs to to look into for, for some uh, inspiration and also support. Any last thoughts? We're at the end of our time and we're at the end of our questions. You've given a lot of interesting perspectives that all kind of loop around to being generous um, and, and, and somewhat authentic, though that's not a word that you've said so far. And any other last thoughts to share with us? You know, just, just one more thing that's on my mind right now since we were talking about innovation. You know, Spotify and Pandora, companies like that aren't necessarily seen as, you know, highly innovative. You know, I go to SF Music Tech or South by Southwest or to these 2112 or Project Music events. And, you know, there's people talking about virtual reality and um, – blockchain and all you know all these other very very innovative things which I haven't really focused as much in this conversation because again I, I'm sort of interested in 
in that like the, that last mile stuff for the existing technologies that were innovative a few years ago but are now starting to actually get somewhere and i'm really intrigued with where spotify and pandora deezer all the other you know uh, streaming apps are going to go in terms of engagement from within the app i always want to get a little bit deeper i want to read deeper bios i want to be able to purchase tickets subscribe as a patron get additional content buy merch whatever it is i just feel like they there's a real opportunity i feel like the Spotify playlisters of the world are sort of surpassing what the music blogs were like four or five years ago. And um, that's that's one area that I'm excited to see what the next, you know, they've built the platforms now. I want to see what are the innovations that are built on top of those. So I just wanted to throw that into the mix. Fabulous. That was a great closing comment. And Dimitri, thanks for joining us and being part of the conversation on innovation in music. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Gigi. Well, that wraps up this podcast. Many thanks to the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation for being our hosts of this ongoing series. You can subscribe to us in all the usual places, or you can come find us at innovation.schoolofmusic.ucla.edu. Join us again to follow the other adventures that we will be tracking down in Innovating Music. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.